Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now, we're up to the episode called Paradise Lost, written by John Milton. Uh, it is the 12th episode of the fourth season, aired January 8th, 1996. Teleplay goes to Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Story credit goes to Ronald D. Moore, directed by Reza Badi'i. While Starfleet tightens scare, uh, security measures on Earth, Cisco and Odo discover that Admiral Layton is deviously plotting to take over the planet. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Um, I would assume that there is a saying in uh in the the uh starfleet academy which is never trust an admiral yeah ever that's the They're lesson always we've bad guys except for friggin kirk i guess <laughs> but even then he stole a starship he's a kind of a that's bad true. guy not, just not from yeah, our perspective true. they all get sort of like stir crazy i guess once they hit admiralty so um we're fresh off recording Homefront, and I guess there's a little opening thing here. What do you think? Do we need to reconsider? I had trouble with Homefront just because of how much Paradise Lost ties into it. Um, what do you think of our current strategy of doing a podcast for each individually named episode? What do you think is um, better? Or doing the two-parters as one podcast episode? I think it's tough with the two-parters because... Uh, like even when we when we were doing Homefront, I I can't remember where one ends and the other begins. Right. Um. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a little difficult to kind of parse them out, and I think the some of the stuff that we were talking about is easier to talk about in the context of both of the the story as a whole. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll consider um, it. I, the problem yeah. the the um. The thing is, further down the series, they're going to start doing like six and eight episode arcs. Um. That okay, are not yeah, to be continued, but they are continuing storylines. So I, I, th- I was, I think I was just trying to get into the mindset of doing that. Although the two parters are so contained that I think maybe it is better just to do them as one podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Anyway, I'm gonna play an audio. And call. also, I mean, you know, we are recording these two back to back. When it comes to a six or eight episode arc, we're not going to be doing those all in one right, day. all all at one time. And maybe it's maybe just splitting up the recordings. For the two parters would be this one just kind of fell right into the week of our we do two at one time for people who don't know so maybe it's it might be different if we you know you do one part in one week and then the second part is the next week uh, would be yeah. the, the way to do it but we'll see anyway that's all behind the scenes inside baseball we're gonna play an uh, audio clip me and Clay are gonna come back and we're gonna break down Paradise Lost that is the bottom line isn't it what am I going to do. These aren't evil people, Odo. These are people I've worked with. They're my friends. People I respect. How can I turn against them? It seems to me, if they have committed treason against the Federation, the Federation that you swore to protect, you won't be turning against them. They will have turned against you. All right, Clay, so... Since I'm unshackled from Homefront, the limitations of Homefront, um, I can talk about Paradise Lost, and I'll open it up by saying to you that this is a two-parter that is the worst kind of a two-parter 
uh, that Star Trek does. DS9 had done a pretty good job of avoiding this uh, at this point when they had stuff like the Maquis, Way of the Warrior, which was written as one episode, so it felt like one episode. Um, what they do, and this this is kind of defined by best of both, both worlds syndrome. Uh, the setup is much more infinitely interesting than the payoff is. Mm-hmm. And Paradise Lost suffers from that a lot. And the the reason that... I really like Homefront is because it's thematically interesting. It is sort of vaguely defined in terms of who the characters and the bad guys are. It's a lot to chew on, a lot to think about. It sort of makes you think about Starfleet as a whole and how they would react to the changelings. Everything's very vague. Everything is very um, thoughtful. And Paradise Lost is in the unfortunate position of having to wrap up the story. And so to wrap up the story... They have to get rid of a lot of the thematically interesting stuff, and they just have to deal with the nuts and bolts of how are we going to fix this and how are we going to resolve this. I think the biggest issue here is that in Homefront, the enemy was the sort of idea of authoritarianism, and in Paradise Lost, it's the admiral who's the bad guy. And it feels really stupid and really sort of hokey and... If you wanted to continue the the good thematic stuff of Homefront, you'd have to have the characters reckoning with what society has become, and the show can't do that. It needs a bad guy that we can put a face on, and that's basically my problem with Paradise Lost at large. Yeah, you you end up in a situation where you would have to make the bad guy all of Starfleet, right? Where you know there would have to be a uh, um, instead of instead of bringing a a rogue actor to justice it would have to like bringing the conscience of everybody in starfleet to you know it's 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 a it's much more of a nebulous concept um then i think the show you know, could have done it you know but it's it's probably yeah. it, it would have been an episode where cisco things don't resolve at the end of the episode and cisco is back on ds9 sort of wondering did they do the right thing through this whole process and that's okay an okay episode but Star Trek at this point doesn't do their shows like that. Like they're like, we need to resolve this. We need to bounce on to the next holodeck episode in our next episode. It's not that's not what it is, but that's like the the point I'm trying to make. And just the the plot mechanics of wrapping up Paradise Lost is very frustrating. And I I, I find the Admiral being the bad guy to be kind of a betrayal of everything that made Homefront interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's um it is a pretty fairly normal wrap up. Um, I, you know, I, I like I like the the extension of some of the stuff that they were doing. Like, uh, um, as I said in the last episode, the way that Cisco's dad kind of changes his mindset about what uh, the the martial, uh, for lack of a better term, martial law aspect that they're going into. Um, when the blood testing, he, he sort of gives into the blood testing at the start of this episode. Yeah, I thought the Red Squad thing was was pretty dumb. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know why they needed to do that. Uh, why are they, Why are they cadets as opposed to a highly trained Navy SEAL team of Starfleet officers? Because they need Nog to inf- infiltrate yeah, to them. Infiltrate. I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was kind of weird. Um, I liked the Starfleet on Starfleet battle at the end, and 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 uh, the sort of consequences of that. Um, and implications of that. I the how do you feel about the the scene with O'Brien? It's terrible. Because yeah, I I feel like that felt really tacked on. Like it was like they got to the end and they realized, oh wait, we forgot that there's the changelings are the threat and there's no changelings in the episode. 
let's have one of them talk to Cisco and be vaguely, uh, you know, super villainy. You know, yeah. Let's just let's just start with that scene because I think I think it kind of ties into my criticism. I have no problem with that scene as a concept and as a even if you were to do it, I think there's a way to do it. I think that the way that they do it is terrible and. Mm. Um, it's a betrayal of what makes the changelings threatening. And I even have a small thing of, I, I like, this is an incredibly small nitpick, but why did they pick four changelings? Why don't they just have that changeling say, I'm the only one and look what I've accomplished? You know, right. like, why, right. why have four of them? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but my main problem with that is I was reading memory alpha. Apparently the characterization that, uh, Cole Meany does there was his idea, and I think it's terrible. I think the director should <laughs> the director should have stepped in and said, "Why are you playing him like a carnival barker? Um, <laughs> why don't you rein this in? Because that scene should be shot like this doesn't happen in all the presidents men, but it should be like some the scene where uh, the reporters interview Deep Throat and all the presidents men. It should have had that kind of tone to it, like." The the changeling should be reserved. The changeling should be totally confident, and it shouldn't be this goofy sort of laughing thing at what's going on, like some sort of like trickster god coming in. Yeah, he, he they should be. It, it should have been much more reserved and much more threatening to Cisco, and then just kind of walks away at the end. And I would have been fine with that. It's really the portrayal kills me. So here here's a here's an interesting uh, uh, fix for that scene. What if you, instead of just having it be O'Brien, what if you have do one of those things where it's just he keeps turning into the other members of the DS9 crew? Yes. And then it ends with him turning into Cisco. Yes. That's the magic, you know? right? Yeah. Look at, what, look at what I've, with his line of look at how much havoc I've caused and saying, Cisco saying it to himself. Yeah. 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 No, that's a, that's a much better idea. It's just, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure Comini's a great actor, really. Um, he's very good as O'Brien, but when mm. they ask him to stretch out, it's really not that good. It's, and as you're saying, that's a that was a prime scene for some kind of thematic relevance there about look at what we've done, uh, look at what one changeling can do. I love the aspect of this is not the full focus of the Dominion, but the way that they do things like this is very effective for them. Like setting up paranoia and letting their enemies defeat themselves is their method of operandi, uh, method of operation, whatever the, the mm-hmm. Latin is. And modus operandi. And the uh, yeah. MO if you're into true crime. That's right. And um, the fact that they. Every unsub has an MO. The, the fact that they, they deal with that is really great, and I really love it. I just don't like the way that it's actually executed. I think that's kind of problematic. Yeah, I would agree. Um, let's see here. So I, I guess we can take this one kind of in chunks. The, the Starfleet coup is unnecessary. I think the, yeah. the the whole the whole problem with this is that it needs plot mechanics to kick into place, and I don't think that they're actually necessary. And Leyland being the villain is not particularly good to me. The um, the defiant fighting the other ship at the end, I like the idea, but I think that the story doesn't focus on that in a way that it should. And just the fact that Red Squad or whatever they're called is a part of this, and Cisco is talking to every admiral. And every other character, and no character ever takes the time to be like, "Are you on my side? 
Captain Cisco. Like no admiral right, ever checks. Right. Like, are we talking about the same thing here, or are we on a secure channel? Um, it's all just kind of lazy in getting to the where the closing argument is. And I, like, another lazy thing is just they arrest Cisco for being a changeling, right? Mm-hmm. Why does Cisco not say, "Give me another blood test with another person"? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or let me let me just take a shit on the floor here to prove to you that I'm not a changeling. It, it, like he doesn't put yeah, up. But a, then that shit turns out to just be Odo. He, he doesn't he doesn't put up enough of a of a fight to that. And it's just it's that kind of a problem with this episode. It's like none of this is this is all happening because it needs to happen. But I don't really agree that any of this would happen as a, as opposed to Homefront, which despite all the flaws of Homefront, I really felt like Homefront was an episode that could happen. Yeah, and. And everybody on the friggin' DS9 piles onto the Defiant again. Yes. Because Bashir needs to come for some reason. He needs to say lines about, I think we're doing the right... He has some... Uh, he's some not even doing lines. anything. Yeah. Like, everybody else is at a post, and he's just, like, lounging on the... You know, leaning against the pole behind Worf, <laughs> making wisecracks. It's one of three episodes that not a single scene uh, it takes place on DS9. Ah. Yeah, so there's, there's that for you. But what would you think about Paradise Lost? Um, I thought it was good. Like, I, I, I it's it's tough talking about it separately because I, I, as a whole, I like talk about story. talk about it in t- context of Homefront at this point because I think okay. that it, I, I just did for a long time. So yeah, I, I, I like I like the story as a whole. Um, I, I, I think you know the aspects that we were talking about for Homefront where it seems like they move a little fast. I think is amplified in this one because going from uh Patriot Act to um military coup is is a is a big jump but hey maybe we're just saying that cuz that hasn't happened yet i don't know right um but yeah th- that that aspect it did feel like uh we need a bad guy to focus on um instead of focusing on well i don't know it's tough cuz having him focusing him on a ba- as the bad guy does sort of focus in on the fact that the that the dominion has managed to crack starfleet um oh, i disagree so I think so. Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, it's just like it's he comes across as power hungry and not like what I liked about his representation in Homefront is that they're do as we were talking about, they're doing what they think is the right thing. And you could argue he's still yeah, doing that true. in Paradise Lost, but it's like it's beyond any sort of rational argument at that. Like he's just a deranged power hungry guy at that point who wants to, to keep pushing and as I'll never give up. But it's he's not. In Homefront, he wasn't portrayed as that irrational. He was just a admiral who was trying to tighten security, maybe a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, if they had, I guess, I guess I, I had been reading him more as just like a more extreme extension of the guy who was trying to, you know, the doing this for the greater good kind of thing, and not necessarily someone who's uh, actively seizing power because he wants power as much as he's seizing power because he thinks that's what he needs to do to defeat the Dominion. Yep. Um, but yeah, if you're reading it as a more just a power hunger thing, yeah, it comes off kind of kind of kind of cheap. But I mean, even if but, you say that you amplify it as him trying to do the right thing, right? The turn that he takes in this episode makes his plot not make a lot of sense because yeah. the Federation is huge. What can he hope to accomplish at this point? It makes more sense if he's trying to um, like legislatively change things and he's being successful at it. But he he's like attacking starships. You know, like the right. the other members of Starfleet should be like, you know, this is a this is a little bit crazy. Where I would understand them buying into his uh, political argument, I don't see them buying into his 
uh, now we're going to start fighting people argument. Yeah, he's not doing the legwork that Palpatine did when he took right, over Right, exactly. The and that's, that is the standard that we all judge everything against. Mm-hmm. Leighton <laughs> um, Layton is that way. And I think that the... I think the show actually struggles to understand Leighton in this episode. It's funny because both parts are written by the same writer group. Mm-hmm. Um, Leighton and Cisco have one scene in the Cisco restaurant where they argue about chain of command for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And chain of command has nothing to do with anything that they're talking about. Chain of yeah, com- I noticed that too. Chain <laughs> of command, it, that all that scene was doing was saying, Ben Cisco, you have to obey me because I'm your commanding officer. But for some reason, they stretch it out to be apparently trying to tell the audience that what they're actually arguing is that it's a better system if you listen to your superiors when they should be arguing about whether or not it's the right thing to crack down on the population with authoritarian police control. Like, that's what mm. they should be talking about. And they don't talk about it. It's just weird. Yeah, they – um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, they start off down that path where they get to the, you know, they're talking about that, that incident that happened when, uh, he was, uh, a commander over Cisco. And then they get to the end and he's like, yeah, you know, so I was right then and I'm right now. Right. <laughs> which, which I, I kind of get what they're going for, but then they go from that point into this chain of command thing where he's like, that's why you got to obey the chain of commands. Like, well, um, you had, you had me, but then you lost me. Right. I just didn't, I didn't understand that. It's not a, I, I feel that actually they, they have too many scenes with those two, Cisco and Layton or Leyland or whatever his name is, Leighton. Um, I feel they tread a lot of familiar ground and I think it comes at the expense of not seeing the defiant fight against the starship. Like the, the scene on the defiant ends with the, uh, Lakota hailing them and then they surrender or whatever. Shouldn't we have seen the conversation between those two, between Worf and the Lakota? Isn't that some kind of scene that would make sense that we'd actually see as to be like, why are we doing this? What's the point of this? Why Why is this happening? Yeah, I think they did it that way to kind of have a little bit of doubt as to whether or not the Lakota maybe was destroyed. Okay. Uh, but they kind of they kind of take the legs out from that by having the scene before where they're, they both take their weapons down and... Worf is like, no, we're not going to blow them up. Obviously, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing where it's like, I would like to see, because you never get that moment where uh, Leighton's second command there has her change of heart. It just, they just talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. It would have it been nice to have, especially since she has, I wouldn't call her a main character, but she has been there throughout both of these episodes in a fairly prominent way yeah she would have been nice she should have been her her character role in this in these episodes should have been the sort of audience conscience in a way like yeah she can agree with Leighton at the start and then starts having doubts later on as she sort of talks to cisco more she has that scene where she talks to cisco and says that he's very impressive and everything but the you should have seen in their fight scene that sort of um her coming to terms with what that meant. And I think that Worf would have been able to convince her of that. It's just, it's, and that would have been more interesting in terms, you know, in like a 9-11, post 9-11 thing, changing someone's mind would have been more interesting. I know this was written in 96, but I I feel like it was really lacking there. I I felt you needed that scene between those two. And I think that her as a character made sense to uh, carry the, the water for that. Yeah. Especially since, you know, they're, 
she's clearly in the position that Cisco is in previously, you know, in that story that Leighton talks about. Um, <clears throat> it would have been nice to see her have a little bit more of a, uh, a face turn at the end. The, um, I'm sorry, just looking, looking through this now. I mean, the, the clunkiness of the plot is one thing. It's, it's actually coupled with the fact that the producers, um, after this was over, put the name, they put a sign up in the writer's room or saying, saying like, never make the same mistake as Paradise Lost. Um, <laughs> they, they felt that the budget for this one really undermined what they were trying to accomplish. Uh, they couldn't hire enough extras to really get a security presence on the streets. They couldn't yeah. uh, do the ship-to-ship battle very well. Um, I would agree with that, mostly in the fact that the heightened security that everyone seems to be going under is not really noticeable besides people armed guards in Starfleet Command, which I would kind of assume should have armed guards anyway. That seems like an important mm-hmm. place to have. Uh, what did you think about that? Did, they, did the show effectively sell what was happening on Earth? Um. I don't know. That's that's a tough one for me because because uh, I think on the one hand, no, because the only the only part of Earth that you see that isn't Starfleet Command is the inside of uh, Joe Cisco's. His name's Joe, right? I think so. Yeah, the inside of Joe Cisco's restaurant, and then like the street just outside, and you're only seeing that through a window. Um. But at the same time, you do spend so much time with that Joe Sisko character and that restaurant is such a like a uh, everyday location that just showing it there kind of gets the point across. Um, so I, I personally didn't actually feel – I don't know. I'm undecided about it because I, I, I didn't totally feel like, like they uh, – <clears throat> that they didn't get it across, but I can see why for something like that, which is I you know, I guess like a global order, I guess. Yeah. Uh yeah. that why you would want to do something a little bit show show it a little bit larger than they did. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. They spend a lot of time in Cisco's office and Leighton's office. You know, it's yeah. like it's yeah. just these small little scenes where global ramifications are happening and the idea is there. I understand that the idea is doing everything like that, and I think the script gets the idea across. It is, it is tough. It's almost a, um, it's almost a movie idea stuck in a television budget, right? Um, yeah. It's kind of the uh, the a larger scale, well, a, a uh, Earthbound equivalent of uh, when they just talk about space battles while they're watching them, but we can't right. see them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we should have just been watching the characters' icons on a little view screen or something for this one. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just tough. I, I just feel that the, the plot resolution just isn't very, uh, fun there. And, you know, dealing with the, the president and everything like that is not particularly fun. And, you know, Odo sneaking around and doing stuff. Odo has a, a funny scene here where he's a shapeshifter, but when uh, Cisco is talking to the admiral, he hides behind the view screen, <laughs> kind of on the side, <laughs> um, instead of turning into a pot or something like that. I just thought that was kind of funny. But I mean, in terms of the entire Homefront and Paradise Lost arc, you you seem to be a little bit more positive on this than I am. Although I don't think this is actually even a really a bad episode. It's just kind of a let down uh from where i would expect it to be but you you seem to like it a little bit more 
Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I like the story, but I, I do think it's 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 an instance of even though things are serialized, this is kind of too big of an idea to just jump back to Deep Space Nine really unaffected by stuff. Um, so I don't know if that happens, but it, I assume when we're not getting updates about how they're handling this stuff on Earth, well, maybe we are. Does does that happen? Uh, well, the the changeling infiltration is still happening, so. That's what I, that's what I'll say. Like the 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 bones okay. of that are still there in the background. Okay, does that make well, sense? Well, yeah. I mean, either either way, it it feels like a a it feels like a a big story that might might have been too big for this uh for this two parter. Like, right. I think uh, let's put it this way. I think it almost feels like a season long arc could have been yeah, built out of this. Yeah. Or or like start it now and come back to it later. Yeah. Uh, and you know, maybe they do, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's, it's got, it's, it's a big enough deal or should be a big enough deal that, you know, it's something that they could, they should come back to and shouldn't wrap up as, as, as easily as it does. Like as, as easily as just like taking the command away from this admiral. And also what does the red squad face any, you know, comeuppance from this or are they just following orders? They're following orders, right? Yeah. I think so. I, w- I wouldn't expect any punishment to come out of it. Um, but that one red, red, red squad cadet seemed really tickled with the fact that he had sabotaged everything. <laughs> he did. They, t- they chose the right psychopath. He actually comes back. Um, oh, he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with it. He was a little bit too tickled about sort of destroying Earth's defenses or whatever <laughs> against, against the Dominion I, threat that wasn't there. I do really like uh, Cisco's tactic, though. Of um, I'm going to have to use that sometime when I don't know information yes. about something that some uh, someone did. I just say that, I, just tell them that they did it wrong, and explain and why. Like, no, yeah. I didn't do it wrong. I'll sh- let me tell you why I did it right. I'm like, okay, yes, please do that. <laughs> he he does it twice with the uh, the admiral. I was kind of making fun of it because no one seems to be suspicious about him, but he he just. Um, He'll he'll say something vague and the other allows the other person to just talk themselves into trouble to hang themselves with enough rope. Uh, yeah. He does it with the cadet a little bit more. The, the admiral is tougher for me to buy. The cadet is fine, and I think that that makes sense that the uh, cadet would be trying to impress him and everything like that. Well, yeah, and also again, he he does think he's just following orders, so I I can see why he's when commanding pressed officer, about, yeah. yeah, why uh, you know you would want to impress him, but at the same time you're like, well, no, I did exactly what you told me to do. Right. What yeah, I was told yeah. to do. Um, Which is why if you're ever pressed like that, you just say, you're right, sir. I'll do better next time. And then you don't give anything away. You never know. You never know whose side your boss is on. Um, let's see here. The There's not not really much else about the, the plots or anything like that. The, the I, I guess we can just talk a little bit about the um, – the changelings, because we did have that scene with changeling O'Brien who comes in. Uh, as bad as that scene was, in my opinion, it was pretty bad. But it wasn't Cisco was just like hanging out by a fountain somewhere. Yeah, I was just himself. thinking. Yeah, it just it felt so much like a we need <laughs> a we pickup have, shot. Yeah, yeah, we've got a couple minutes. We're a couple minutes short. We don't have anything with a changeling. Uh, get O'Brien in there and have him vamp it up for a minute. So, so what are you arguing? Are you saying that there should be a, a more of a changeling presence done better, or you think that the changelings actually work without a presence? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you necessarily need them. Uh. But 
I think if you're going to have them, you need to have, they need to play a little bit more of an important role. Like I think, I think also it's, it's kind of, uh, Similar to the scene in, in Homefront, because it's like, yeah, they have a changeling scene because they haven't had a changeling scene in the episode, but they don't really follow up on it. Yeah. Like, why doesn't why doesn't Cisco immediately go, okay, thanks for that information. Hold on a second. Let me reach into my phaser pouch. Right. And I'm going to shoot you real quick. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> on level 3.5, because that causes extreme discomfort for the changelings. Um, Get Riker in there. Riker will figure out exactly what level... It takes to vaporize somebody. See, it's it's <laughs> callbacks to <laughs> vengeance factor. Um, it's a the changelings are kind of in a tough spot. I, I I sort of like the way that they handle them, but the you have to show that they're actually there, right? Yeah. You have to establish that the changelings do exist and they are there on Earth. The more you see of them, the less that they you can justify how they sort of survive in there. Uh, because as you're saying, once you have isolated a changeling and you're all walking around armed, you should be able just to blast their ass and just call it a day. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, you know, it's one of those things. It's like if the thematics of it are, were better stretched or stressed, I would not care about the logistics of the plot there. Like the changeling walking away, uh, could be drawn from the fact that Cisco realizes things are a little bit too late and he actually needs to fit their, he needs to fix the response as opposed to the actual changelings. And the, the changelings aren't as dangerous as the, uh, in O'Brien's words, havoc that they wreck, um, mm -hmm, or wreak. Mm -hmm. The, um, and I, I think that the, the, it's really, it is really just interesting to me that the, the changelings, operate so in the shadows and that it's a lot of like the people's reaction to them and everything like that it's it's a it's a clever way i don't think i've mentioned this yet of getting around the budget problems that they have of them shape-shifting um yep well you don't need to show them shape-shifting a lot because they aren't that's not a part of how they handle things it's really just this subterfuge and um confusion and paranoia type stuff and uh, you know you know what would have been a nice scene in one of these episodes would have been uh <clears throat> the one where the people start getting angry at each other, you know, where they start being uh, accusatory of each other, which they're just all just just the people of the world. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, because um, <clears throat> there's there's no scene. Everyone who's not in Starfleet is just sort of like annoyed by things, but there's really no change in their demeanor. Yeah, yeah. Where whereas you know, if if the if the edict had come out that oh guys. By the way, we have to do blood tests because there could be a shape-shifting assassin among you. It could be literally anybody. Like, I feel like the tension, uh, it's, it turns it into the thing, right? Where yes. the tension level goes way up and people start accusing each other of shit. And that would turn into mass hysteria very quickly. Yeah. And and that's, I think, a, a, a symptom of it being too small. Because right, they don't, because yeah. if you, that's, that's a, uh, you know, a scope question. Because if you open that door... Even if you probably should, well, then you have to deal with that and the, how that opens your circle up even bigger as to the stuff you have to deal with. Right. And yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking of ways you could expand it now. There's never a uh, Joe McCarthy moment in this. Yeah. Of like the Red Scare thing where Leyland is, 
or Leighton, you, you, don't, you don't see other admirals responding to this. And Starfleet, you don't see the dissension within Starfleet about who's picking sides and what uh, people would want to do. You know, after 9-11, there was the obvious split after, you know, a year after the events had happened about where people chose which side they were on. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't mimicking 9-11, but it, it's interesting that they they don't have the budget to show that kind of schism in Starfleet. So it makes everything feel very small. Like this admiral just beams over to... Uh, New Orleans to talk to Cisco at his restaurants, and it's like that sorts out everything. It's there. There should be other higher-ranking uh, people making decisions, and you should see the impact of all that stuff. And it's just, it's a little bit hand-tied in that regard. It can't, it can't pull those scenes off. Yeah, no, yeah, I would agree. Uh, let's see. Uh, going through this, Nog. We talked about Nog and Red Squad. Um, tell the episode, John Milton. Ira Bear's favorite line in the episode, Paradise never seemed so well armed to me. Um, hmm. And that's pretty much it. I, I think we, we talked about, between the two of them, we talked about quite a bit. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about Paradise Lost or any other points that you had? Um, not that I can think of. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's just a, it's another uh, it's another instance of of these two together are a really good instance of the show being fairly prescient, um, unfortunately so. Um, and I think I think that's probably what was carrying my my enjoyment of it more than maybe maybe if I had disengaged a little bit and just kind of looked at it, tried to look at it a little bit more removed, then I I might not think it was as good. But I mean, I, I just I felt like they they went down most of the roads they chose to go down pretty effectively, um, except for yeah, it, it gets kind of a little uh, uh, over the top at the end. And uh, also, the the are, are they flying around a, an eighty year old Excelsior class just because that's all they could afford for the show, or are those things like still in use? Probably still in use, I would think, right? They said that they well, they, they said that they powered it up or something. They amped up the uh, the phaser banks or something. So yeah, because that's things. that's going to be older than the Enterprise C, and they they make a big deal out of the Enterprise C. Um, not the Enterprise C. What's is it? The Enterprise? Yeah, the Enterprise C, the one from uh, yesterday's uh, Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, and even that, even that one, they're like, this thing's got to be eighty <laughs> years old. <laughs> it's. I mean, the power creep is a problem, right? Like the Defiant has been written as the warship, so they just have to artificially amplify other ships that it runs yeah. into, so it yeah. can't just nuke them and get out of the I way. I did, I did really like, I did really like that line where the where the captain of the Lakota was like, "Someone didn't tell us that this <laughs> ship had a certain kind of armor that we didn't know they had." But it, like in universe, right? Why would Cisco not tell them about that? Yeah, I mean, you would think everyone would know. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's just done to to battle the power creep issues uh, that they're having. Also, uh, I don't know if I believe Worf is a captain of that ship. I'll, I'll, for, I'm going to just put that out there right now because why do you say that? He gets a he, well, a couple reasons. One, I don't know if Michael Dorn has the the gravity to pull it off, at least not through that makeup, because they give him a push in in the captain's chair and everything, and I don't. I think he's just like. We fight. It, like it wasn't. There was he, no. There was no grease behind it. You know. He always looks a little uh, bit in over his head in every situation. Um, yeah. Worf is usually written that way, though, right? Like he, he he's usually given a situation where he can't make heads or tails of it, and his confused look is the way that they cut to black before the commercial break. Yes. Um, that's not a good look for the captain. But 
Uh, also, I don't, I mean, I don't want to pick on a guy if, if, if he's actually like this, but I think it's his makeup. When you push in close on Worf, his makeup makes him look kind of cross-eyed. Sure. <laughs> like, it's like he's got his eyes off just like a little bit. So it's not super intimidating. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I feel like if I were him, Maybe that's unfair. Maybe I would be a different kind of captain. Uh, but if the Excelsior was, or the, uh, the Lakota was coming at me and they're like, yeah, uh, they're, they're not answering our hails and they're putting their shields up. I would have been like, all right, put our cloaking device on. Right. <laughs> They've agreed, we'll just slip by them. They've agreed not to, not to use it in the Alpha Quadrant, whatever the script calls for it. That's the, yeah, I know. the agreement. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's disabled. Uh, <laughs> O'Brien, O'Brien took the toothpick out that he that he had hold it together with. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, his argument is that you can't drop the shields without the cloak. Uh, you can't put the cloak up without dropping the shields. And it's like, well, they can't shoot you once you get your cloak on. So maybe just cloak and right. quickly and then be gone. Yeah, do like a corkscrew barrel roll around the ship and then yep. take the shields off. Or yep. Something. Yep. That's all it takes. Anyway, we're if you've t- learned anything from playing Star Fox, the answer is always do a barrel. Do a barrel, Froggy, or whatever that guy's name is. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We're going to read some patron thoughts, and then we'll call it a day. By now, Odo is talking to Jarus in you. The president will have all the evidence he needs to stop you. It's over. It's not over. I have enough loyal officers to make a fight of it. Who will you fight? Starfleet? The Federation? Don't you see, Admiral? You're fighting the wrong war. And as for your loyal officers, Benteen's already abandoned you. And she was closer to you than anyone. You've lost. Don't make anyone else pay for your mistakes. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says, Paradise Lost. This one kept reminding me of Picard's speech to Wesley in the first duty about pursuing the truth. Leighton being a jackass and Cisco being fundamentally good and honorable and how those things conflict is really well done. I can think of some flaws to this two-parter, but the contrast between Earth being a profoundly wonderful paradise and the current state of affairs is so appealing that I just want to watch this one over again and think about that. Stephen Cobb, nice continuation of the story. I like the resolution, felt satisfying. But what looms large here is how do people pay for their meals at Cisco? The Starfleet people are not paid. Do civilians have money? Why not just replicate your meal? What's in it for Dad Cisco if he isn't paid? Who would peel this potatoes? Is, a, is, is this the same person that wrote that the no. comment the last time? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> really concerned about the uh, about the minutia of how money lending goes. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, sorry. We didn't even talk about in the first episode that scene where Bashir and O'Brien come out of the holodeck dressed like bombers from like World, World War, War II. II. Yep. That that doesn't it's like why why do they even have that scene in there? Other I think, than to have like a comedy beat where 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 uh Quark is like, "Yeah, I know exactly what this is like because I remember one time the banks didn't work on Ferengopolis or whatever the, name of the planet was. <laughs> Ferenginar, I, I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was a strange. It was a strange scene. It was kind of odd. It, it for Homefront, it, it fit part and parcel with the um, the Odo and Dax stuff. Although I felt that was more character building. Um, I don't know what they're saying about Bashir and O'Brien. There are they just the only thing I can think of is that World War II was the was one of the last 
wars where the battle lines were clearly drawn. Yeah. And the episode is hinting that that's not the world that you can live in anymore. Right. Uh, just because of the changelings and everything like that, fixing and, and sort of settling into not being able to know who your enemy are. I, I don't really know. That's me stretching. I don't really know why that scene exists there. Um, I don't understand why they have the entire scene where Odo says goodbye to them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just kind of a weird thing to have. Paul Evans says, Homefront and Paradise Lost, another example of stories that TNG couldn't get away with. So many parallels with contemporary history in this. Very well-written and directed episodes and another reminder of the constant threats of the Dominion. Kyle Barrett says, Tip-top smoldering Cisco in this episode, the peak of angry Cisco so far. I like the episode a lot, but what was with that awkward shuffle backwards out of the restaurant near the end? Surely such obvious and awkward blocking in a wide shot, no less, was a mistake. But yeah, good parter. Nothing spectacular, but strong and solid like most of the season. Do you remember what he's talking about, Clay? Uh, I don't think so. There is a, uh, when they're saying goodbye in the restaurant, they're like, uh, goodbye, Joe Cisco. It's Odo, Jake, and Ben Cisco. Like, goodbye, Joe Cisco. We're going to see you later. They all take a step to the left into the back, and then they say three to beam up, and they beam up. It, it's this weird, <laughs> it's this weird step they all take at the same time, uh, for no reason. When you think the transporter could just beam them up, regardless probably- of where they're standing. If I had to guess, I'd say they probably have to clear any obstacles in the foreground so they can do the effect shot. Probably, yeah. Maybe that makes sense. Although that ties into Kyle's point about why shoot it from a different angle. There's no reason. Right. There's yeah. no reason to be there and then have them move. Yeah, that's probably yeah. why. Um, tip top. To, 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 that's it. Those are the only comments for Paradise Lost. People didn't have thoughts about the wrap up of it. Uh, Clay, you gave the first one a four. What are you going to give Paradise Lost? Hmm. Go with a three, high three. I think. I think overall the story as a whole. I think I would give a four. Um. Yeah, I would probably give it a high three. I'll give it a three as well. I think it's. Um. I know I was really sort of harping on it, uh, and sort of uh, coming across with a lot of criticism, but it's a. It's more just the letdown of what it could have been. It's sort of an odd two-parter yeah, yeah. Uh, for all the reasons that we talked about. And it, it could have really been something special and something uh, impressive the way that they ended it. But they just kind of fall back onto the tropes of Star Trek writing. And it's a little bit of a letdown. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've said many times before that I, I am more lenient on episodes that have good ideas that maybe aren't uh, – um, executed as well as they might be, but just, you know, the ones that make me go, ooh, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Those ones I usually are a little bit more lenient on, so I think that's probably why I'm, I'm grading this one higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. I, I like them both. I think they're both kind of competent, but they are, um, out of all the two-parters we've seen so far, it's probably the smallest one in a weird way. Even though it's dealing with some of the biggest things that the show has done, dealt with, it, it feels like the smallest two-parter that the show has come across with yet. Um, that's pretty much it. So if you guys like and support the show, you can go to all the uh, social media things. They'll be in the links. There'll be Facebook, Twitter, Discord, and the video description and the podcast blurb. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. And then you can also go to... Uh, what the other? Oh, the rate the show on iTunes. That's always appreciated. We're almost at fifty. Thank you very much for everyone who's recently Ooh. done that. If you're on your phone, your iPhone, you can do it easily there in the podcast app. Just search the Penske Podcast, and you can rate the show. It's much appreciated. Clay, do you have anything mm. you want to say? 
Yes, as of this comes out on Thursday, I believe. So as of yesterday, October third, the second issue of Poser is out in stores. Uh, if you want to pick that up and check that out, and also um, the Bat Ass Podcast has officially hit the airwaves. So if you right. uh, if you're interested in hearing me and Sean Murphy uh, talk about Batman and comics in general and stuff, then uh, that's where you want to go. And the entire first season of the show is out. Um, we're kind of doing like a Netflix thing. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that how that goes. Um, I'm thinking for the the next one, if we if we do a second season, I might do it in like halves. I think like half seasons might be a, a good way to do it. Um, so it doesn't take another year and a half to get the whole thing. Out. <laughs> and then uh, anyone who listens to it, let us know what you think about the all, release all at once. Uh, yeah, please schedule. do. Be something to do. But you guys can check that out. There'll be a link to it. You can subscribe on iTunes and everything like that. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Batass Podcast, B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast. Yep. And they'll be on YouTube as well if you prefer listening to stuff there. So Mm -hmm. that's about it. Uh, Let's see here. I think that's kind of it. Do I have anything I want to say? No, I don't think so. We'll think about the two-parters, how we do the two-parters going forward. Uh, You guys let me know about that as well. That would be good to know. And then... I think that's it. Uh, there might be a delay coming up in the near future. The baby is expected soon. So uh, despite my incredible work ethic, it might, it might, it might uh, take a hit for the next week after these are out. But we'll see. We'll try to get back to the schedule as soon as possible. Uh, and that's about it. And other, if you're taking the, uh, the release of this podcast as a priority over my family, first of all, shame on you. And second of all, <laughs> you better be a goddamn Patreon on uh, patreon.com. Are you, are you talking to yourself about that, about <laughs> taking the release of this podcast over the priority of your family? <laughs> but I haven't met the kid yet. He might be a real, real son of a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. It, next episode, it'll be me and Alistair. That's just <laughs> breaking down, breaking down the, uh, uh, intricacies of Deep Space Nine and, you know, block toys, I think. He was, he only knows a post 9-11 world. So he would have, That's true. he would have a lot to, to say about that. I'll definitely ask him his, his thoughts about that. <laughs> so that's about it guys thank you very much for listening you know and that's why every day i like to get up at around 10 because i think it's important to always be in a post 9-11 world (laughs) isn't that the gremlins rule aren't you just aren't you also pre you know you're not always even if you're eating after midnight or whatever the rule is you're always eating before some midnight yeah that's also why i don't shower the next episode is called Crossfire. <laughs> it is. <laughs> the next episode is called Crossfire. We'll be back with that. I have to give a shout out to the captain patrons. Stephen Cobb, Nathan Elliott, Michael Pond, Matthew Cutler, Will Yates, Matt Flores, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, Andrew Cherlog, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Bradley Killens, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Guys, thank you very much for your support. But that's it. We'll be back with uh, Crossfire whenever that comes out, hopefully soon. And Clay, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Check out Batass. It'll be up by the time this one comes out. Otherwise, have a good one. See you guys. <laughs>